Welcome, my name is Pastor Scotty Bockhaus, and we thank you for taking some time to listen to some audio recordings from the pulpit of the Riverview Baptist Church. Our desire is to show the Lord high, holy, and lift it up, as well as try to be a blessing to those through the Word of God. Please enjoy this message, and we pray that it will be a blessing to your life. And if you wouldn't mind to take your copy of the Word of God and turn with me to the Old Testament book of Genesis, the book of beginnings, the very first book of the Bible, the book of Genesis and chapter number 15. The book of Genesis and chapter number 15. We're progressing forward in our series of the Millennial Kingdom. And we had took some time before to lay down some groundwork, to lay down some terms. We spoke a little bit about the timeline leading up to the Millennial Kingdom. And now we're in a section where we're starting to talk about the nuts and bolts of the Millennial Kingdom. We took some time on Sunday morning to explain who is going to be there inside of the Millennial Kingdom, the three different groups of people. And now we're starting to lay some more of the foundation by speaking about the covenants, the Old Testament covenants. That when we start talking about the Millennial Kingdom, a natural question will kind of arise why? Why have a thousand year reign of Christ? Why not just go straight from this world and then go to eternity future, heaven proper, which is what most people honestly think is going to happen. That we die, we immediately go to heaven and there are ideas that we're in eternity future and that we're all harps, angels, diapers, uh, whatever else goes alongside with that. But the Bible says there is a thousand year reign of Christ. In fact, there are more passages dedicated to the millennial reign of Christ than any other subject except for the tabernacle and temple. So why have a millennial kingdom in the first place? Well, that's a good question. And the purpose is, is to fulfill the promises that God had made to the Hebrew people. Now, if the millennial kingdom is developed and designed to fulfill the promises uh, to the Hebrew people, the next uh, logical question is, what promises? And that's where we're going to see the covenants. The four covenants that are mentioned in the Bible to the Hebrew people are going to set up more of the framework. We had spoke about that term before. That in the book of Daniel, it gives the framework of prophecy by explaining the borders of it. Once again, we come to the four covenants and they are going to give some more of the frame that all a prophecy has to fulfill. And without the framework of Daniel and without a knowledge of these four covenants, people will often get prophecy and the interpretation, correct biblical interpretation of prophecy off because they'll put the pieces somewhere else because they don't have a frame to make sure everything fits with inside of it. So if you don't mind, we're going to tackle the very first one of these covenants and we find it discovered in the book of Genesis chapter number 15. The book of Genesis chapter 15 and notice with me if you don't mind in verse number one. The book of Genesis chapter 15 in verse number one. After these things, the word of the Lord came unto Abram in a vision saying, fear not Abram. I am thy shield and thy exceeding great reward. And Abram said, Lord God, what will thou give me seeing I go childless? And the steward of my house is this Eleazar of Damascus. And Abram said, behold, to me thou hast given no seed. And lo, one born in mine house is my heir. And behold, the word of the Lord came unto him, saying, This shall not be thine heir, but he that shall come forth out of thine own bowels shall be thine heir. And he brought him forth abroad and said, Look now toward heaven and tell the stars if thou be able to number them. And he said unto him, So shall thy seed be. And he believed in the Lord, and he counted to him for righteousness. And he said unto him, I am the Lord that brought thee out of the Ur of the Chaldees to give thee this land to inherit it. And he said, Lord God, whereby shall I know that I inherit it? And he said unto him, take 
me a heifer of three years old and a she-goat of three years old and a ram of three years old and a turtle dove and a young pigeon. And he took unto him all these and divided them into the mist and laid each piece one against another. But the birds divided he not. And when the fowls came down upon the carcasses, Abram drove them away. And when the sun was going down, a deep sleep fell upon Abram. And lo, a horror of great darkness fell upon him. And he said unto Abram, Know of a surety that thy seed shall be a stranger in the land that is not theirs, and shall serve them, and they shall afflict them, Four hundred years, and also that nation whom they shall serve will I judge, and afterward they shall come out with great substance. And thou shalt go to thy fathers in peace, and thou shalt be buried in thine good old age. But in the fourth generation they shall come hither again, for the iniquity of the Amorites is not yet full. And it came to pass that when the sun went down and it was dark, behold, a smoking furnace and a burning lamp that passed between those pieces. And in the same day, the Lord made a covenant with Abram, saying, Unto thy seed I have given this land from the river of Egypt unto the great river, the river Euphrates, the Kenites and the Kenizzites and the Kadamites and the Hittites and the Perizzites and the Rephraimites and the Amorites and the Canaanites and the Girgashites and the Jebusites. And if you're in the habit of marking things in your Bible, will you mark a phrase that is found in the book of Genesis chapter 15? The book of Genesis chapter 15, and notice with me in verse 18, notice the phrase, if you're in the habit of marking things in your Bible, a covenant with Abram. A covenant with Abram. And with the Lord's help, we're going to hit what is commonly called the Abrahamic covenant. The Abrahamic covenant. We're going to explain the Abrahamic covenant and then also explain how it applies to this study of the millennial kingdom. If you don't mind, let's go to the Lord together and let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you again for you being a wonderful God. Thank you for you being a wonderful God who loves us so very much. And as we come to you today, I'm just asking that you would give us wisdom and that you would give us discernment, that you would help us to open up this passage in a special way that we could gain understanding of it. We could see the basis of it and we can see what you plan to get accomplished even in the future based off of your promises and that you keep your word. Fill me with your spirit now and that you would guide and direct what I say, how I think. You would get accomplished exactly what you want done through this message today. Thank you again for you being a wonderful God. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. As I just mentioned before, that if we're going to study the millennial kingdom, we have to answer the question, what is it for? What is the purpose? Why even have that? And we see through the study of God's word mentioned in several different places that the purpose of the millennial kingdom is to fulfill the promises given to the Hebrew people. Which promises? Well, God has made certain covenants with the Hebrew people. What is a covenant? A covenant is an agreement between two parties. It is a binding agreement. It is a steadfast agreement. We would almost think like a contract type of agreement. But they are agreements between two parties. There are four major covenants, agreements that that are made from God found in the Bible that all of them will pertain to the millennial kingdom. These four covenants are the Abrahamic covenant, by the way, which is the seedbed of all these covenants. All the other covenants are going to branch off from this covenant. You have the Abrahamic covenant, the Palestinian covenant, the Davidic covenant, and the new covenant. Now the Abrahamic covenant promises that God will have, have a people for all time. The Abrahamic covenant promises there will be a Hebrew people for all time. The Palestinian covenant, uh, some people will call it the land covenant, whichever one works. The Palestinian covenant promises the Hebrew people a land forever. 
so the Abrahamic covenant promises there will be a people forever, which is going to be the Hebrew people. The Palestinian covenant promises the land forever. The Davidic covenant promises that there will be a king from the line of David who will rule forever. And then you have the new covenant, which God promises after he brings them back to the land to have salvation promised to them forever. All of these four covenants are going to be very important to laying the foundation of all of prophecy and the purpose of the millennial kingdom. Now with these covenants, there are certain characteristics that are true for each of these covenants. Each of these covenants are going to have these characteristics. They are literal. They are eternal, unconditional, and specific. Each of these covenants are going to be literal. They are going to be unconditional. They're going to be specific and eternal. So first of all, they're literal. What do we mean by this? That when God promised them Abraham a people forever, that was literal. It wasn't that an idea that, hey, you're going to have spiritual people. No, they're going to be literal people that come from Abraham's seed and are going to be physically related to Abraham as a people forever. We know that from Abraham, you have the Hebrew people. And today they are uh, further dwindled to the Jewish people. The Jewish people are the Hebrew people. And God had made a promise to them as individuals, as people. It's not an idea that Christians are now the spiritual heirs. That's not the promise. God promised the physical seed of Abraham will always have a people forever. We know that this is eternal, meaning that there is no cutoff date, that God is going to keep this promise. It's an eternal promise, not a temporary promise, but a lasting promise. It is literal, it's eternal, it's unconditional. What do we mean by that? Well, there's no way of defaulting. The Jewish people can't be say, well, I hate you, God. God says, fine, I'm done with this and wipe his hands and say, we're done. These are unconditional and we'll actually prove that here in just a bit in Genesis chapter 15. But this is unconditional, meaning that the Jewish people cannot default on it. The Jewish people can't walk away from it. The Jewish people can't aggravate God enough where he just says, I'm done with it. These are going to be unconditional. These promises will happen and they are going to be specific. So the When you start studying Bible prophecies and Bible promises, you'll notice that these Bible prophecies are not vague where anything could fulfill it. They are going to be very specific. When God says people, he means a certain people. When he says a land, he means a certain land. When he says a certain lineage from David, it's going to be the lineage of David. It is going to be very specific. God says what he means and means what he says. Now, again, the study and understanding of this is important because it will be the border that defines this like a puzzle. It's going to be the border that helps define prophecy and keeps it within its proper context. They will determine what's going to be true about certain events. Now the Abrahamic covenant is going to be mentioned several times to Abraham throughout uh, Genesis. Genesis 12, 1 through 3. Genesis 13, 14 through 7, uh, 17. Genesis 15 verses 1 through 21, Genesis 17, 8 and 9. All of those are references to this Abrahamic covenant that God tells Abraham several different times so that way Abraham knows that it wasn't just a flight of fancy. It just wasn't said once and then forget about it. But God reminds Abraham of this promise over and over and over. Now, if you don't mind, let's kind of walk through Genesis chapter 15 really quick. See what's going on here. And from this passage, build a little bit more about the specifics of the Abrahamic covenant. Notice with me in Genesis chapter 15 and verse number one. And after all these things, the word of the Lord came unto Abram in a vision saying, fear not, Abram, I am thy shield and thy exceeding great reward. Now, this is just a separate message altogether. But you know what he said, Abraham? I'm your reward. When you have me, you got everything you need. We're reminded that Jesus is the answer to all of our prayers. That when we have Jesus, we have everything else that we need. 
And God is saying, listen, more than you need some rewards or some promises, you need me. And when you have me, you have everything that you need. I am your exceedingly great reward. Oh, if we would just see God as sufficient, see God as enough, we would see everything else in our life line back up. God should be our goal. Verse number two, and Abram said, Lord God, what will thou give me? Seeing I go childless and the steward of my house is this Eliezer of Damascus. Now this is a question that Abram's brought up because back in Genesis chapter 12, where God had pulled Abram from the Ur of Chaldees, God had promised Abraham that he's going to have a child. Well, many years have passed. Abram is about 70 years old right now. And so he's saying, God, I'm old. My wife is 60 years old. It's not like we're planning on having kids. So you promised me this thing, but God, I don't have any kids. I'm just trying to, I'm not questioning you, God, but how does this work? I don't have kids, but you promised me a seed. Can you explain a little bit? By the way, that's, that's a legitimate thing. That's kind of, all right, I, I, I'm not doubting you, but I just explain how this is going to work. I'm too old to have a child. Notice as he goes on, he says, but I have an inheritor. He's not from my family, but I've given this other guy kind of the air spot. If I was to die right now, he would inherit everything just because I don't have anyone else. This is a young man who was born uh, in my household. I've kind of watched him grow up. I've kind of taken to the lad. He's going to be my inheritor. Uh, is this what you're planning on doing is going through this man who was just born in my, my camp? Verse 13, or verse 3. And Abram said, Behold, to me that was given no seed. Now notice the word behold, and I want you to see how many times it is mentioned here. The, whenever you see the word behold in the Bible, it is a very big word. It's a word that almost says, Pay attention because I'm fixing to show you something to make you go wow. And you'll see it, especially like in 1 John and stuff, wherever it says, behold, he's saying, I'm giving you something big. So again, Abraham, he has such a great relationship with God that he could be honest with God. And he's saying, behold, to me, thou was given no seed. Now, God, I know this isn't going to be a big thing to you <laughs> to point out, but I don't have an inheritor. I don't have any kids. God, this is a big deal. You said I'm going to have... Uh, um, an inheritance. I'm going to have people that's going to uh, go as the sand of the seed. Behold, I don't have any kids. Again, he's not being mean, but he's trying to say, this is a big deal. I don't have any kids. Behold, to me, thou was given no seed. And lo, one born of my house is my heir. And the word of the Lord came unto him saying, this shall not be thy heir. But he that thou shalt come forth out of thine own bowels shall be thine heir. So it says, and behold, the word of the Lord. God says, listen, I'm going to tell you something. You, you said something that says, wow, look at this. I don't have any kids. God says, well, wow, look at this. You will have a kid. And it's going to be amazing because I know how old you are. God had never forgotten how old Abraham was. It wasn't, oh man, I missed my spot. I was supposed to do this like 10 years ago. God knew how old he was. And he says, listen, behold, I'm going to do something amazing through this. You're going to be too old to have a kid and you're going to have a kid. Watch this. Notice if you don't mind. So God continues his conversation with Abraham, verse 5. And he, that's God, brought him, Abram, forth abroad and said, look now towards heaven and tell the stars. So imagine in the middle of the night. Now remember, they don't have light pollution. They don't have Lambeau Field right next door, which blocks off all the light. They're out in the middle of the night on a clear sky, no light pollution. And God says, look, look at all these stars. Can you imagine how many stars you could see if there's no lights around? The thousands of stars that are available. So God brings them out in the middle of the night away from the lamps or away from the campfire and says, go look at this. Look toward heaven and tell the stars if thou be able to number them. And he said unto him, so shall thy seed be. He said, Abraham, look at all these stars here. And guess what? If you were to somehow be able to count them, you're going to have more kids than what you could count. That's a lot of kids. It's a lot of descendants. 
That's a lot of people that's going to come from. He says another passage, you're going to have more children, more descendants than the sand of the sea. If you ever been to a beach, sand gets everywhere. There's more sand that you want. And God says, you're going to have kids like that. You have descendants like that. Verse 6, and he, that's Abram, believed the Lord. And he, God, counted to him for righteousness. Do you know that all that Abraham had to do was believe God? God says, it's all I want you to do. By the way, that's what salvation is. I believe in God and God says, that was enough. That's as easy as it is. Trusting Jesus to pay for our sins. God says, that's all I want you to do. And I, he counted unto him for righteousness. I'm so thankful that God doesn't make us jump through the hoops. He says, just believe my word. Just trust me. Verse number seven. And he said to him, I am the Lord that brought thee out of the Ur of Chaldees to give thee this land and inherit it. So God says, I want to remind you, I brought you out of this country and I'm giving you all this land. So not only the seed, I'm going to give you all this land. Now, verse number eight, and he, Abram said, Lord God, whereby shall I know that I shall inherit it? Now, verse number eight is going to be important. It's a question he asks, and it's not a question by a lack of faith. He's saying, Lord, I just... What evidence do I have? What, what do I have? Now remember, they don't have a written word of God at this time. So God, how do I know that you're going to do what you said you're going to do? How do I know you're going to keep your word? How do I know that this is going to be lasting? Now for us today, if we were to go get a contract or let's say that you're going to buy a house. If you were to buy a house, they'll give you a stack of paperwork like this. And that's got to be in triplicate and formed up and everything's signed. And if something's not signed, then it doesn't work. I mean, they go through and they have to reevaluate. I mean, there's a lot to it to make sure that nobody can get out of this agreement. I mean, there used to be a day where it was a handshake deal. Now, everything, you're going to go get some money to buy a piece of gum. They want it in triplicate. They want paperwork, stamp, notarized, everything. Why? Because people don't keep their word. And so Abraham says, I believe you, but how do I know? How do I make sure that this isn't just in my mind? Is there something that I can have? Some sort of proof, some sort of evidence that this is going to happen. I mean, I'm 70 years old. I don't have a kid. My wife's 60. How do I know? Now, <laughs> notice what God's going to do. Verse number nine. And he, God, said to him, Abram, Take me a heifer of three years old, and a she-goat of three years old, and a ram of three years old, and a turtle dove and a pigeon. And he took them all unto him, all these, and divided them in the mist, and laid each piece one against another, but the birds divided he not. Now verse number 10, when you read your Bible, you go, I don't know what this is. Next verse. But what this is doing is explaining an old ancient custom. Now, let's remind you that this is event happened three, four thousand years ago. Three and a half, four thousand years ago. That's quite a long time ago. And that this is also an Eastern book and we're a Western culture. Even today, the people in the Middle East and China think differently than we do because we're a different culture. So here, they're doing something cultural. Now, back in this ancient world at this time, in order to make an agreement, what two parties would do to, instead of having triplicates and having the bank notarize it, what they would do is a special ceremony. What they would do is they would have uh, um, <coughs> an offering given, and then they would take the pieces of the offering and then divide them into either side. And then what they would do is they would make the contract. Then what they would do is walk in between this line of carcasses as a sign that we both agree this, that we've divided this up just to show that we're both in agreement and we're walking in between this to show that the deal is struck. It's a very intricate ceremony for the purpose. It was their way of doing a handshake deal. It was their way of signing things in triplicate. It was a ceremony that would uh, be done on purpose to show that we're going to keep our word. All right. So it's just not uh, taking your word for it. We've gone through this ceremony. This is our way of going to the bank and having it notarized. So they divided this up. 
and the birds he denied it not. Verse number 11, and when the fowls came down to the carcasses, Abraham drove them away. It's just one of those verses to show practicality. He laid those things down, all the buzzards and the crows and wanted to come down and he had a little way, little way. Listen, trying to do a deal here. Go away. Now, Again, it's also showing that he's all by himself. He doesn't have a party of people. He doesn't have everyone else. It's just Abraham. So he gets these things, divides them up, sets them aside. He's trying to keep the birds away until him and God could come to this agreement. Now notice what happens. Verse number 12. And when the sun was going down, a deep sleep fell upon Abraham. And lo, a horror of great darkness fell upon him. Verse number 12 is key. Why? Because if you're going to make an agreement with someone, both people have to be present, right? And conscious. You cannot go to the bank with someone who's drugged up and have them sign papers. Okay? Abraham is asleep. Why is this important? Notice with me, Keep that in mind. Let's see what else. Verse number 13. And he, God, said unto Abram, notice Abram's asleep. Know of a surety that thy seed shall be a stranger in the land that is not theirs and shall serve them and they shall afflict them 400 years. And he talks about Abraham's seed, that he's going to have a seed, that they're going to go to Egypt for 400 years and then they're going to come back. Notice with me in verse 16. Uh, but in the fourth generation, they shall come hither again, back into this land, for their iniquity of the Amorites is not full, just a minor thing to kick. God had to even give the Canaanites time on this land to turn to God. When it says that the time of the Amorites was not full, it's speaking that they hadn't crossed the line where they said, we're refused to go to God and God wipes them off. This is why in Joshua's day, God says, kill them all. Because they've already got to the place where they had rejected God so many times that God says, all right, fine, you're not going to listen. So the time of the Amorites is not full. That's a different study on its own. But that's important to note here that God had still had it open for the Canaanites to accept God. And there was witnesses still left over there trying to tell them about it. But they hadn't fully rejected God completely yet. But it was going to happen. Verse number 17. And it came to pass that when the sun went down... And it was dark. Behold, a smoking furnace and a burning lamp passed between those pieces. And in the same day, the Lord made a covenant with Abram, saying unto thy seed, have I given the land of this river? And then he wakes him up. Now, what's going on? What's happening? Now, remember that in order for this agreement to happen, the parties who are engaged in here had to walk in this path. What we learn about is that Abraham's asleep. He cannot be a part of this agreement. God is making an agreement with himself about Abraham. What we see is that Abraham doesn't have a part to play other than it's about. God promised to himself that Abraham's going to have the land. God promised to himself that they're going to have this people forever. God made a promise to himself that he is going to do something from here. And all of the rest of the covenants that come from Abrahamic covenant carry this same idea that it is an agreement that God made with himself about the Hebrew people. That means the Hebrew people can't mess it up. They can't default on the loan. They can't like wipe it away. Even if they turned away from God, which they did, God says, I'm still going to keep my word because I made it to myself about them. This underlines quite a bit because today some people like to try to teach that the Jewish people defaulted when they turned on Christ and rejected Christ, that God said, and he went to the Gentiles and the Gentiles inherit everything. No. Because God didn't make an agreement with Abraham. He made an agreement about Abraham. So Abraham's present because the agreement is about him. But the two lights is God walking with himself and making an agreement with himself in this. Does that make sense? This changes a lot. This is why Genesis 15 goes through this details here. And that Abraham's sleeping the whole time. Abraham was expecting to be part of this agreement. God says, no, I just want you to set this up. I need someone to physically set this up. But it's about you, so you get to stay here. Now go to sleep. And then God makes this agreement. And when Abraham gets woken up the next morning, God says, all right, it's done. 
Because God had made an agreement with himself about Abraham. This pays a big part inside of prophecy. That God is going to keep his word because he promised it to himself. And God will fulfill all of these things. Now the other three covenants are going to branch off of this. That God promised in the Abrahamic covenant a people forever. He's going to keep that word. He promised them the land forever. He promised Abraham that and expanded on them. Because he promised Abraham this inside of the land. By the way... The borders of this, in verse 18, of the land. The same day the Lord made a covenant with Abraham, saying, Unto thy seed have I given this land from the river of Egypt, so up to Egypt, unto the great river, the river Euphrates. That's modern day Iraq. He also expands the borders that it's going to go from about Turkey to the Mediterranean Sea. By the way, Israel has a small sliver of that. There's never been a time where they fulfilled all of this. That's a future event. God is going to fulfill this in a future event. God had promised in the Davidic covenant that they will have a king forever. Well, that King Jesus hasn't come to reign yet. And they will have a king who will rule over that kingdom of that big space. That has never happened yet. That's a future event. Then God promised them a new covenant where he has promised that once they get back into the land that he would bring and make salvation available to all the Hebrew people. The Hebrew people as a mass have never accepted God's promise of salvation. But God says, I promised them that they would. All of these are going to be fulfilled in a future event that's going to be the underlying basis of the millennial kingdom. That in the millennial kingdom there will be a people forever. It is mainly for the Hebrew people. It will be there to fulfill the land. They're going to have all of that land. In fact, part of the Mediterranean Sea is going to dry up. And it's going to be part of Jerusalem. Jerusalem is going to be so big you can see it from space. It's that big. God promised them a king forever. King Jesus will physically, not spiritually, physically rule this world from Jerusalem in a future event, the millennial kingdom. And God will promise salvation forever. He's already built the foundation of salvation through Jesus Christ dying on the cross for them. But during the millennial kingdom, God will bring the Hebrew people to himself and they'll accept him as Messiah and they will live with him and have fellowship with him because of salvation of Jesus Christ the way that God intended to have. But all that's future event. That is the purpose of the millennial kingdom. Now, all of this is introduction. Let's get to the message. First thing I want to bring to your attention is that there are three types of promises in the Abrahamic covenant. There are three types of promises in the Abrahamic covenant. If you don't mind, turn with me to Genesis chapter 12. Genesis chapter 12 is the very first mention of the Abrahamic covenant. Genesis chapter 12. And in here, we're going to see the three types of promises that God made to Abraham in this Abrahamic covenant. Notice with me Genesis chapter 12 and verse 1. Genesis chapter 12 and verse 1. Now the Lord had said unto Abram, Get thee out of thy country and from thy kindred and from thy father's house unto a land that I will show thee. And I will make of thee a great nation. And I will bless thee and make thy name great. And thou shalt be a blessing. The very first thing that we'll see of this promise is that it is a personal promise of blessing. It is a personal promise of blessing. Notice this. I will make of thee a great nation. Now this is fulfilled that Abraham is the father of the Hebrew people. We know that even today there's tons of Hebrew people. There are more Hebrew people in New York than there is in the entire country of Israel today. There are millions and millions of Hebrew people. But you know that Abraham's not the father of just the Hebrew people? He's the father of the Arabic people as well. And there are 60 million Arabic people and innumerable Jewish people. Abraham's the father of two 
physical nations. The Muslim Arabic people all trace Abraham as their father. Their physical father, by the way, it was through Ishmael. And the Hebrew people trace Abraham as their father through Isaac, the child of promise. That was fulfilled. God had made personally Abraham a great nation. And even today we're speaking about Abraham. Think about this. And I will make of thee a great nation and I will bless thee and make thy name great. His name will be referenced. That we're still talking about him today. The Hebrew people talk about Abraham in very favorable terms. The Muslim people speak about Abraham in very positive terms. And Christian people speak about Abraham in positive terms. Three major religions all reverence. Abraham. I mean, you can't get more reverence than that to have three separate religions, distinct religions, all say Abraham's the greatest. Isn't that amazing? God fulfilled that with Abraham. His name would be great and he himself would be a blessing and thou shall be a blessing. And by the way, he was a blessing to a lot of people within his time frame. He affected the lives of people all around him. Not only that, there would be a national blessing. A national blessing. Notice with me in verse 3. And I will bless them, meaning your seed of a great nation. I will bless them that bless thee and curse them that curseth thee. And in thee shall all the families of the earth be blessed. There was a blessing to his seed. They would spread out to be an accountable number to the sand of the sea, to the stars of the sky. And they would be given an everlasting possession of the land. By the way, Abraham has never seen that. But God promised in these Abrahamic covenant that Abraham will see that. You know what that means? Historical Abraham will be in the millennial kingdom. And we're going to be able to interact with Abraham and talk with him and learn from him. And he'll be able to see this promise fulfilled with his own eyes. Do you think that would be a great day for him? Absolutely. That God kept his word after all of those years and brought him back to see this promise. There was a personal promise of blessing. There would be a national blessing that he had nations come out from him and that they would eventually have this everlasting possession. And then there would be a universal blessing. All of the nations of the earth would be blessed. Even though we are not Hebrew people, we get to enjoy the blessings too because when God brought salvation to save the Jewish people, it was also enough to save us. And that God's promises to the millennial kingdom was so vast that we get to enjoy those promises too. We get to enjoy those promises because God made a promise to Abraham. Oh, all the world and the nations can be blessed because of the promises God made to Abraham. This is a big deal. Abraham didn't know what a big deal this would be. He didn't understand all of this that we understand now. He just believed God by faith. And watch God work. So we've talked about the three types of promises in the Abrahamic covenant. Let's go to another thing. Why is the Abrahamic covenant so important? Why is the Abrahamic covenant so important? Well, the Bible spends time answering this question. And it gives us three specific answers. Why is this so important? Turn with me, if you don't mind, to the book of Romans. Let's look at a couple different passages that speak about the Abrahamic covenant. We know that the New Testament is going to give more understanding to this. As you're turning there, Romans chapter 4, why is the Abrahamic covenant so important? First of all, because it has a vital bearing on my salvation. The Abrahamic covenant has a vital bearing on my salvation. Notice what the Bible has to say about this in Romans chapter 4, starting at verse 20. Romans chapter 4 and verse 20. He staggered not at the promise of God through unbelief. Who's the he here? This is speaking about Abram. Remember, in this context here, God 
uh, it's giving a recount that God told Abraham, you're going to have a child. And it said that he staggered not at the promise through unbelief, but was strong in faith, giving glory to God. Hey, even though Sarah's old, and by the way, Abraham was 100 and Sarah was 90 when they had the child. If you're 90 years old, lady, you're probably not looking forward to having a baby. And he, Abraham staggered not at God's unbelief. He said, all right, God, you said you're going to do it. I don't know how it's going to happen, but I believe you. He staggered not at the promise of God through unbelief, but was strong in faith, giving glory to God and being fully persuaded that what he promised, he was able to perform. He was convinced that God was going to do what he said he was going to do. Verse number 22, and therefore it was imputed to him for righteousness. We had saw that passage back in Genesis 15, that all he did was believe in God and God counted unto him righteousness. This is what this is saying. It was imputed unto him for righteousness because he believed God's word. That's all he needed. God says, all right, that's, I just want you to believe and trust my promises. Verse 23. Now it was not written for his sake alone that it was imputed unto him. So it was not written because of Abraham. It wasn't written so Abraham would know that he saved. Verse number 24, but for us also to whom it shall be imputed if we believe that him that raised up Jesus our Lord from the dead. God says just like when Abraham believed God's promise that was all that it took for him to be considered righteous in God's eyes. For us, all we have to do is believe in the promise of Jesus for salvation and that's all it takes. We have that same example. We just trust God's promise. It does have a bearing on my salvation. Just like Abraham believed God's promise, didn't know how it was going to fulfill, but I trust God. When you got saved, you didn't know all the ins and outs about salvation. You just knew that you're a sinner and because of your sin that you offended God, you deserved hell. But you heard that Jesus died for you and you personally accepted Christ as Savior. God says, that's all you needed. Just to trust me and take my, my word. That was all that was necessary. It does have a bearing on my salvation. Just trusting God's promise. Not only that, why is the Abrahamic covenant so important? It's vital. <laughs> it has a vital bearing to my salvation. It also has a vital effect on the resurrection of the dead. It has a vital effect on the resurrection of the dead. Turn with me to the gospel record of Mark. I made reference to this passage last Sunday morning. Jesus Christ is <coughs> about ready to die on the cross. And as he's getting ready to die on the cross, uh, the different groups have come up to Jesus Christ to try to trip him up. The Pharisees, the lawyers, the scribes, and then the Sadducees take a tribe. The, remember, the Sadducees denied miracles in the Bible. They denied the supernatural. Some people say that's why they're so sad, you see, is because they deny the Bible. Mark chapter 12. Mark chapter 12. And when they asked the foolish question, remember they had asked the question about the lady who was married and her husband died without giving her a child. So she married the brother and then that brother died without giving a child and she ended up marrying seven of them. And we kept wondering, poor lady, killing seven of the guys. And, but they asked the foolish question, when you get to the resurrection, who's she going to be married to? And Jesus has to correct them saying, first of all, you don't know the scriptures, you err. You don't even believe this stuff. But you're going to, when we get resurrected bodies, we're going to be like the angels and not have children. But notice that Jesus also tags in something else here. Notice in verse 26, Mark chapter 12 and verse 26. And as touching the dead that they rise, have ye not read in the book of Moses how in the bush God spake unto him saying, I am the God of Abraham and the God of Isaac and the God of Jacob. He is not the God of the dead, but the God of the living. Therefore, you do greatly Air. Now they go back to Genesis, um, Exodus chapter 3 where it's talking about Moses going and seeing the burning bush. And then Moses approaches the burning bush. God speaks for the burning bush. Said, Moses, take off the shoes for um, the ground that you're standing is holy ground. And he begins to speak to Moses. And Moses said, who do I tell them who sent me? What's your name? And God said, I am the God of 
Abraham. I am the God of Jacob. I am the God of Isaac. God said, I am. Now that's a powerful word. This idea of I am carries the idea of the present tense. Not past tense. I was the God of Abraham. I am currently present tense. Now when Moses is speaking to Abraham, Abraham's been dead and buried for 300 something years. It's a long time. And yet God says, I am present tense currently right now today, the God of Abraham. God is not the God of dead people. God is the God of alive people. That here God is telling them that Abraham is alive somewhere right then. Present tense. And so when God is, Jesus is talking to them, verse 27, he, God, is not the God of the dead, but the God of the living. Ye therefore do greatly err. You know what that tells us? That when we die, we're alive somewhere. That we don't sleep. That we have a living soul and we're going to be alive somewhere forever. Oh, that pays a lot. I have a hope of eternal life. I have a hope that God is going to resurrect me and I'm going to live with him forever. Oh, I'm so thankful that this isn't it. This is what the promise of Abraham does for us is it's very vital to our resurrection. Notice with me, if you don't mind with that same thought, the book of Hebrews chapter 11. Hebrews chapter 11. Hebrews chapter 11 is what we often call the hall of faith chapter. Because what it does is it is by faith, by faith, by faith. And we see the faith of Abraham mentioned in Hebrews chapter 11. Notice with me verse 8. Hebrews chapter 11 and verse 8. By faith Abraham, when he was called to go out to a place where he should go after receiving an inheritance, obeyed. And he went out not knowing where he went. By faith he sojourned in the land of promise, as in a strange country, dwelling in tabernacles with Isaac and Jacob, the heirs with him of the same promise. For he looked for a city which hath foundations, whose builder and maker of God. Pause right there. You know what he looked forward to? He looked forward to going to a city that was prepared for him. That Jesus is going to prepare a place for us. And he is coming again. We're not looking forward to a place that we build. I want to live in a house that Jesus built for me. That's what Abraham looked forward to. Notice in verse uh, 11. Through faith also Sarah herself received the strength to conceive seed. Now don't, don't uh, underscore that one or don't underemphasize that one. At 90 years old, do you think that you would need a lot of strength to produce a child? <laughs> I meant <laughs> to be able to not only have the back pain and try to have your body carry this child that's growing and kicking in you, but then you have the delivery process. And remember, they don't have epidurals. She's going to be 80, 90 years old trying to kick out a baby in her age. Do you think she had to depend on God for strength for that? Absolutely. By the way, that's a good encouragement for those who have aches and pains that, hey, <laughs> if God could give grace to a 90-year-old lady to give birth, he could give grace to me and my body that's falling apart too. Through faith also, Sarah herself received strength to conceive seed and was delivered of child when she was past age. Why? Because she judged him faithful and promised. I trust God. She had to trust God the whole way through. Verse 12, therefore sprang there even of one and him as good as dead, so as many as the stars in the sky in multitude and the sand which is by the seashore innumerable. All these died in faith, not receiving the promises. Notice this, Abraham was promised that he would have seed innumerable and he never saw it for himself. He saw Isaac he may have seen Jacob and Esau, but he never saw past that. Two kids, or a kid and a grandkid is not innumerable sea. He died before he saw that promise fulfilled, but God told him he was going to see it. Guess what that means? He's going to be resurrected to see in himself. 
these died in faith, not having received the promises, but having them seen them afar off and were persuaded of them and embraced them, confessed that they were strangers and pilgrims on the earth. He was looking forward to the time where he got to see it with his own eyes. And that's going to be fulfilled in the millennial kingdom. One more reason, why is the Abrahamic covenant so important? It has a vital bearing on my salvation. It has a vital effect on the resurrection of the dead. It is also a framework for everything else that happens. It is the framework for everything that else happens. All of the millennial kingdom is based off the Abrahamic covenant. It is the fulfillment of promises God made to the Hebrew people. This becomes very important in our study of prophecy. If someone starts being a prophetic preacher and they don't know anything about the covenants, they're going to be off. I don't care how good they are. They're going to be off because if they don't have this framework, then they're not going to have the right puzzle pieces in the right place. It is the framework. This is why in this millennial kingdom study, we're putting each of the four covenants in here. We have to have an understanding so we could build the right model of the millennial kingdom and what it's for and the purpose and what's going to happen. Does that make sense? Which brings me to one last thing. What difference does it make? We could ask the question, so what does it do for me? It's about Abraham and his kids. How does it affect me here and now? And that's an honest question. How do I apply this? I mean, information's good, but so what? What difference does it make? Well, first of all, this understands that Abraham's, Abraham's descendants must be eternally preserved as a nation and must be given an everlasting possession of a geographical location. This has to happen. God said it was going to happen. This is unconditional and not yet completely fulfilled. It hasn't happened yet. There's never been a time where the Jewish people, the Hebrew people, haven't inhabited all the land that God promised them. There's never been a time where they've been gathered together under one king forever. There's never been a time where they have had salvation received by them as a people, as a whole. So this is stuff that has to yet fulfill. That has to happen. Now, why is this a big deal? Because... Satan knows that if God is going to be God, he has to keep his word. And if he could take away the Hebrew people, if he could wipe out the Hebrew people, then God cannot keep his word. This is why if you study history and all throughout history, you can see time and time again where the Hebrew people have been under attack. You could go to the book of Esther and the book of Esther, there was someone who hated the Jewish people because of Mordecai, that they had official kill the Jew day. And to make sure that everyone fulfilled, they said, if you kill a Jew, you get to get all of their stuff. And the purpose of that law was to intentionally wipe the entire people out of the world completely. That was the intention was to destroy every Jewish person. And we're thankful that God worked for such a time as this and put people in place and, and that he counteracted that. But that's not the first time and that's not the last time. You know, to fast forward to 1242 uh, AD when the Black Plague was spreading across Europe and one third to one half of Europe's population were killed inside of the Black Plague. The only people that seemed to be exempt from getting sick was the Hebrew people who were following the ceremonial hand-washing things. And because they learned to wash their hands, they weren't getting sick. By the way, the greatest way to stop the spread of diseases is to wash your hands for yourself. Friction, water, and soap. The Hebrew people had practiced that. And so they were getting sick like everyone else. Well, the Europeans got very suspicious and they said, ah, it's the Jewish people that's poisoning our wells. And so they set out to kill every Hebrew person in Europe. You fast forward to the hatred of the Jewish people because of the Roman Catholic Church. And you had something called the Inquisition. The Inquisition was made to kill every Hebrew person inside of Spain and all of Europe. You take one of the crusades, a couple of the crusades, we know that one of them, they were going to go retake Jerusalem, but you know, a couple crusades were focused on Europe to kill all the Hebrew people within Europe. And the Pope had promised them that you would get to go to heaven if you kill Jews. That's nice. You take something like 
World War II when a crazy man by the name of Adolf Hitler decided he was going to come to a final solution and to wipe out all the Hebrew people off the European continent. Over and over and over. Those are just some, not all, some of the times where the Jewish people were threatened to be wiped off the map. Why? Satan knows if he can get rid of the Jewish people, then God can't keep his promise. But I'm so thankful that God is so much bigger than Satan. And you know what this tells us? That God kept a promise to one man. And he is keeping that promise throughout all of the years. You know what that tells us? That God will keep his promise to us. And that we could trust him in his word. That if he says it, we could believe it. Something like John 3, 16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. That whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. Something like Romans 8, 28. For we know that all things work together for good to them that love God. To them that are the called according to his purpose. We can take God at his word. No matter what it says. Faith cometh by hearing. And hearing by the word of God. Do you need more faith? You find yourself doubting? Read God's word. So many times. We could find a promise. And you could take it to the bank. Why? Because God made a promise to one man. And we could see throughout all of these years. Even in the future. He's keeping a promise to that one man. And if he gave his word, we can trust it. We could take it to the bank. God will keep his word. You know, God had told Abraham some pretty fantastical things. I'm going to make a view of a great nation. All right. Well, that's nice when I'm 50, but now that I'm 80, God. Um, um, but he said, all right, I'm trusting you. It's impossible. But you said it. And I'm going to believe it. And he trusted God by faith. Sarah. God, <laughs> 90 years old, but you said, I'm going to have a kid and I'm going to survive this. Some days I don't feel like, but you said I'm going to survive it. She was able to take God at his word. What about the times that you doubt, dear friend? Let me tell you, you can take God's word. If God said it, you can believe it. And there are so many promises in the Bible. We should be people of certainty. I have a lot of unknown circumstances, but this is what God said. And I'm taking God at his word. What do I need to do about something? First uh, answer, what does the Bible have to say? What does the Bible have to say? I got a problem at work. What does the Bible have to say? I got a problem with my family. What does the Bible have to say? I'm having issues with my health. What does the Bible have to say? Go back to what does the Bible have to say? Find God's word on the matter. Trust him. He will keep his word. How do I know he will keep his word? That's what Abraham said. How do I know? Well, we have the, we don't have to go through a ritual. We don't have to have God knock us out. We have God's word and we have the evidence that God kept it to Abraham. He'll keep it for us. He will keep his word word. So what is it that you have to trust God for? What is it that you're struggling with faith about? What is it that impossible circumstance that you said, I just don't know how it's going to happen. Maybe you're praying for someone to get saved. You say it's impossible. Yeah. Abraham said it was impossible, but I believe God, God's bigger than that impossible situation. What is it that you have to take God's word for right now and believe that he'll come to pass and we know that he'll carry it to pass because we have the evidence in the historical document of his promise to Abraham. And God will keep his word. Thank you for listening to this audio message. This is Pastor Scotty Bockhaus. And I encourage you to take this information that you just received and make a specific decision to follow after the Lord. If you don't know Jesus Christ as your Savior, let me beg you to take the time 
to receive Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. If you are saved, I encourage you to make a decision in your life to help you get closer with the Lord. If there's anything specific we can do to be a blessing or to pray for you, we encourage you. Look us up on the internet at riverviewbc.com. Once again, that's riverviewbc.com. Or if you would prefer to call us, you can give us a call at area code 920-530-6308. Once again, that number is 920-530-6308. If there's anything we can do to be a blessing or an encouragement to you, please let us know. We would love to make ourselves available. Thank you.